0: So if you have your uh, Bibles with you, whether it's a physical Bible, a digital Bible, however you got it, go ahead and open that to Joshua chapter 6 and verse, uh, sorry, chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to be kind of jumping all around uh, in that, looking for some uh, verses to kind of help you today understand the word in our series that we are continuing called Uh, hills to die on. Let's say our declaration. If you're new to us today, we say this every Sunday. Uh, This is our declaration for 2021. So join in with us in saying it. All right, you ready? I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. It comes from this. So let's start this morning off. Let's line our heart with his word. Uh, In this series that I've been in for several weeks, um, and I don't know, we'll probably be in it for about three or four more weeks, because it's talking about things that are important to the body of Christ that we cannot afford to let die. There are many things that are dying in culture. Right now, cancel culture is killing off so many godly and biblical uh, values that we have. And guys, if somebody doesn't stand up and say something, you know, we are in trouble. A few minutes ago when we were in worship, um, Amber said something along the lines of, there is a war coming. And there is a war coming. As a matter of fact, if you haven't noticed already, we're already in a war. Like, they literally on different news uh, stations call it a culture war. And what's happening is that there are conservative values and liberal values. And, you know, as I'm talking to you this morning, I just want, I just want to just say, man, if you're offended by some of the things that I say today Then I guess I'm just going to count myself in good company because Jesus offended people all the time. Here's the difference Jesus wasn't trying to be a jerk, he offended people because the truth offends unrighteousness. The truth, and I'm just saying, anytime that you feel offended, ask yourself, why did that offend me? Ask yourself that there might be some legitimate reasons why it offended you, but ask yourself why did I, that statement or 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 that quote or what or that scripture? Why did that offend me? But we are living in this culture war where everybody's offended by everything. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, "Well, I guess it's time for my annual sermon." On offense. I get so, I hate preaching that sermon because we should not have to have that message in the church. But we do because church folks are some of the most offended people. They will get offended by everything. I mean, it happens to me from time to time. And here's, you know, just a very short. Uh, synopsis of the message on offense you can't help it if you get offended that's an emotion and it can be triggered just like that I'm going to throw my wife under the bus anytime I say that you know it's, uh, it's in jest but the other night she got offended by the waiter at the restaurant that we were at and she had a right to be offended. We had taken some friends out to this restaurant. We had built it up. It wasn't a cheap place. I mean, we're, we're laying down a few dollars for this. And the she messes the order up. And she brings the orders out. And she doesn't bring out one of our guests that we've built this place up to. We've always had good service, and then all of a sudden, it's a disaster for him. We literally eat our entire meal, and he didn't have his meal. While people sitting around us, they were bringing the same entree. So this is one of those restaurants where they only have like five entrees. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's not like this uh, massive Ruby Tuesday menu that looks like a You know, one of those big windshield covers. I mean, this place only has five, you know, ish items on its menu. And so they're bringing out other people's item that he ordered when they should have brought it to him because we had ordered. And man, she's getting upset. I'm upset too. And there was a right for us to feel upset. And in the middle of all of that, What we had to do though with our emotions. We couldn't, we couldn't make a scene. We couldn't, I mean we could, but we're not emotion-led. We're spirit-led people. We have a witness. We live in a relatively small town. You know, there's very, very likely that some of the new folks that are here today that you've never seen me before, you could have been in that restaurant. And we could have gotten up and thrown our hands up and, you know, cussed the waiter and all of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then, lo and behold, new person that was at the restaurant comes in and goes, Oh, that was that jerk that was at the restaurant. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's how we operate. And so, offense is happening everywhere, but we have the ability to control ourselves. And so one of the hills that I feel like, I'm not going to talk to you. That was just like a little side sermon there. What I want to talk to you about today is purity, integrity. Like this is a mountain, guys, that we cannot let that fail in the church. We cannot let that die in the church. And I'm just telling you, there are so many people in leadership, over the past few years that I'm like I have my world has been rocked because several of them are high profile leaders that I looked up to and we're not talking about just young pastors that are just a few years into the ministry we're talking about a few of these guys have been in ministry for 20 and 30 years and then come to find out they're having multiple affairs and they're having uh, sexually abusing uh, women on the side and, and holding it over them and causing trauma. Yet they would get up on a stage and they would, they would go to be leaders and speaking to tens of thousands of people and sometimes hundreds of pe- thousands of people at a time. They were global leaders, and one after another is just falling by the wayside. And I'm, and, and, and you know, God and I had to have some heart to heart talks, and I'm, not, I'm still not sure I've fully worked through it with God, but I look and I go, Now, God, come on now. What's up? These guys. They have this charisma, and they step onto a stage. And, you know, they, before, before you know it, man, they have a huge following of people. They have multi upon multi millions of dollars. They fly around in, like, jets, private jets, drive, you know... Bentleys and Rolls Royce and Maseratis and you know seem to have all of what the world dubs as success in the kingdom yet they're living some kind of life that's not a life of integrity God what is up with that because I'm just going to brag on myself for a minute I'm a man of integrity I ain't ever slept with another woman. I don't care if you believe me or not. I've never even looked at another woman and lusted after her in my 30, what, four years of marriage? We uh, Almost 34. 33, alright? I'm overshooting it just a little bit. N- never. I've never stolen money from the church. I I'm, I've never... You know, X, Y, and Z. Like, I truly am a man of integrity. And I'm not ashamed by standing in front of people and saying that. But then when you, when you it's like, when you stand for integrity, and then you see these jokers out here being blessed, blessed, and you begin to go, God, now what's up? Because I've been asking, I don't need a Learjet. I don't need a mansion. I'd love to have this building paid off. I'd love to have plenty of money to pour into the kingdom. I promise you, you are never going to read a story about Rife Stewart taking money from the church or me living in a multi-million dollar mansion. Why? Is there anything wrong with that? No. But I don't need that. I don't need it. But the point of it being is like integrity and I've seen integrity lapse in finances. I've seen integrity lapse in uh, marriages. I've seen integrity lapse in relationships. Yet they seem to keep being blessed. And I hadn't fully got that worked out in my head with God. All I know is God, His, His blessings are out there. There are certain laws. They're just natural laws. You work hard, you get paid well. You have a strong work ethic. If God blessed you with ingenuity and innovation, you put that to work, it'll produce wealth for you. You see what I'm saying? And it's like, God's just got natural laws in there. But there's this thing called integrity. And it bothers me, guys, when I see people not living with integrity in ministry. I don't know how many of you guys know Because our church over the last several years has seen a significant shift between COVID and then between several pastoral staff moves that we've had. And I have stood here on this stage as an anchor of integrity. It may seem like I'm building myself up to you guys. I'm not. I'm just preaching facts. And I have taken over a number of years... I have taken hits because of my stance on integrity. If, listen, if we're not gonna have integrity in our house, I don't want money. I don't want buildings. I don't want the sharpest people on the planet serving at destiny. You know what I'm saying? If we don't have integrity. I've served at churches that did not have integrity. And they would come in, and there would be a, quote, atmosphere, a spiritual atmosphere, and it was all a farce. I'm telling you what, you might come into destiny and go, man, I just don't feel the Lord here. Well, whatever you do or don't feel is going to be authentic. I promise you. If you stand on this stage doing any kind of ministry... You've got to walk in integrity. If you hold a teaching position, a leadership level position, you have to operate in integrity. Any volunteer at Destiny, we encourage you to operate in integrity. I cannot, uh, and I'm not going to be the uh, morality police. I'm just not going to do it. But there are times when as leaders... I do talk to leaders just like I expect you to talk to me. If, I, if you ever see things that are not in alignment with my life, that are, are my life not in alignment with the word, I expect you to come and to speak to me about it. If you don't, you are doing me an injustice. I promise you, you're doing me and this house an injustice. As we look into the Word, I want to share a couple of things with you. And this is what I want to drive home with you today. That purity, it attracts the presence of God. Now, why would I be such a a defender of integrity, of purity? There's the answer on the screen. Purity attracts God's presence. Listen, if we don't have the presence of God... We just might as well go home or to a ball game or to the beach because like, this is just a meeting. I don't ever want to come into the house of God and just be another meeting. Man, we got to come into the house of God and somewhere we connect with him in a supernatural way. And for some of us, that's already happened today. For some of us, it hasn't happened. And there's different reasons uh, for that that, you know, aren't important right now to go into. But purity attracts the presence of God. And I hope today by the time we leave that you will have have connected in some way to the presence of God. Um, I want you to look at this real quick. This is Matthew 6.33. I think this should be the golden rule. Now y'all know many of you have been taught the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I learned that like in the second grade. But I promise you this should be the golden rule for every believer's life. And it's seek first the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously And he will give you everything you need. I promise you, if you will do this, if you will live this out in your life, just live for God, seek him, put him first, and everything else will be added. But how many times do we get that backwards? We seek money first. We seek career first. We seek the guy first. We seek the girl first. We want to get the perfect mate uh, for life. I'm telling you what. You seek God, put him first, he'll lead you to the perfect mate. You seek other things first, you're going to get hooked up with somebody that you're going to dread, that you have gotten together with. You, I'm telling you, there are people that I know that they make six figures. And their life is Miserable. You get those things out of order, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, or what kind of bucks you bring home at the end of the week. If God is not in it and God is not the center of your life, that stuff is meaningless. And you got tons of money, but you don't know how or where to spend it because you're trying to fill it with holes, fill your life with a hole that only God can fill. I'm telling you what, if you will do this, and this basically what it boils down to, is that integrity produces prosperity. Purity, integrity, produces the blessing of God in your life. And if you want to be prosperous in your life, if you want to be prosperous in your marriage, if you want to be prosperous in your health in every way... If you honor God and put Him first in everything and you do it in a lifestyle of integrity, blessing is going to be on your house and your children and your children's children and, you know, to the fourth, fifth, sixth, umpteenth generation. That is the word of the Lord. We're actually going to sing that song in a few weeks called The Blessing. And your family... And their children, and their children, and their children, and their children, and to the exponential umpteenth. That is the blessing of the Lord over people who live in integrity. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. And I'm going to read a good portion of scripture here, but I'm going to set it up. And this is where the children of Israel, in other words, any time you read the physical, literal, historical nation of israel that is a type of modern day christian all right so you can put yourself in this situation that i'm about to read and israel is coming out of captivity now they're freed they're coming out of babylonian captivity Or sorry egyptian captivity sorry And they're moving into the land that God had promised them. But but while they're going into the land, they didn't just walk into it and just, there it was. They had to walk in it and drive some enemies out. Some of y'all, if you'll just listen to me for a minute, some of y'all think that you're just going to walk into the blessing of God and that there's no work involved. God will give you the power to drive it out, but there is work involved. And so, you know, if you will walk into whatever your next blessing is, whatever it is that you're seeking, and go, I've got some work for me to do. Because life with God is a partnership. It's not entitlement. Are you following me? Like we live in this entitled generation that we owe everything to everybody. And people will moan and groan about a welfare mentality. Except when it comes to spirituality. They want some welfare spirituality. They want something for nothing. I could get off on that in just a heartbeat. We will moan and groan. And complain about people who are taking advantage of the United States government. And they're, you know, in your taxes and you're paying for whatever. And I had a guy one time to tell me, he was talking about the Obama phones. Y'all remember back in the Obama uh, administration, they gave out uh, free cell phones or, or whatever. And he was talking about uh, my tax dollars going to pay for somebody else's cell phone. And Jesus... I didn't say it, but I wanted to. I, I wanted to say, well, guess what? My tithe dollars are going to pay for your children's education in children's ministry, your child and youth ministry, and anything you do at Destiny Church because you don't participate with us that way. That's harsh, isn't it? No, that's fair. That's the truth. And I'm like. I told y'all it would offend you. This is what the scripture says. Do not judge somebody. This is what it says. It says right here. Don't judge nobody's Obama phone. If you ain't giving yourself. That's what it says right there. What does it really say? It says, hey. Do not judge somebody by a standard that you aren't going to live yourself. That's what the word says. I didn't make it up. It's right there. And so as we look at what's happening in Israel, in the nation of Israel here, they're getting ready to walk into their inheritance. But there's some work that they have to do. And so they have to take a couple of cities. The first one is Jericho. That happens in Joshua chapter 6. When they take Jericho, this is what the Lord says to them. And I I want to highlight one verse in that. And it's uh, verse 8. And before we read it, I just want to, again, set this up. God says... To Joshua, he says, I want you to march around that city one time for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. You're going to put the the, uh, warriors with the trumpets, the ram's horn out in front. The priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to put warriors in front of them and in back of them, and you're going to do that, and you are not going to have to touch that city. It's going to crumble, and you're just going to march right in. But they did have to have some work that they did for seven days. And I want you to look at this. In verse 8, it says, After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with ram's horns started marching, underline this, in the presence of the Lord. They started marching in the presence of the Lord. Like, wherever you and I go, if we aren't going in the presence of the Lord, can I tell you destruction is coming your way? Like, God has given us his presence as a barrier. That when we walk into whatever situation, whatever setting, that's why I promise you, I am a... uh, I mean, there's been situations that I've been in where I'm like, don't know what's fixing to happen right here. But I'm telling you, I walk pretty confidently because I know the presence of the Lord is with me wherever I go. Whatever situation I'm in, I know the presence of the Lord is with me. And these these priests are marching in the presence of the Lord. I'm telling you what, guys, I've already said it this morning. If we don't have the presence of the Lord, we are messed up. We are up the creek without a paddle. We have got to have the presence of the Lord. And so they go in. The city walls fall. They march in. But this is the instruction. That when you go into that city, Joshua says, under the inspiration of God. He says, when you go into the city, God has said, don't touch anything that's in there for yourselves. Everything in that city is going to be destroyed. Everything, every man, woman, boy, girl, animal, everything. That seems harsh. And for me to explain it, that would take a whole nother sermon. And I might do that one day. But he says, destroy everything. And when God says to do something, don't judge God by the world's standards. Because you'll go, no, that's just, that's just terrible and horrible. And what about the little babies and all of this? There was a reason he said these things. He said, don't take anything in that city. Destroy everything. But I want you to bring all of the gold, all the silver, all of the, uh, the, the monetary things into the temple treasury. Because it's sacred and it, I'm reserving it for myself, says the Lord. Alright? But you can have everything. You can have uh, the, the land. You're going to go in and rebuild. Alright? So, look at verse seven, uh, Chapter 7 verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated items. So the Lord was very angry with Israel. Take that in for just a moment. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. But a man named Achan is the one who stole them. I'm not going to go any further, but that ought to get your wheels turning right there. Brian did it, and I'm blamed for it. Hang on a second, Jesus. Jesus. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. And Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out a town called Ai. It's Bethel near Beth-Avon. And when they returned, they told Joshua, Listen, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, let's not make all of our people go and struggle up there. He's saying, this, this place is going to be a breeze, guys. We're not, we're, let's just take a few folks up there. Verse 4 said, so approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly, say soundly, soundly. Like it was no, uh, there, it, you, there was no argument over who won this day. They soundly defeated Israel. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Verse 6, Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. And they bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. And then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan if you were just going to let the Amorites kill us? Sounds like he's having one of those conversations that I was having about the big pastors who are not living in integrity. He's having a come to God meeting. Like, God... We did this, and why? Why'd you do this? And why you? God, it don't seem like you make sense. He says, if we had only been content to stay on the other side, oh my God, the enemy would love for you to stay content, just where you are. Don't really go where you're supposed to. Stay where you. If you'll just be content, God has not called us to be content and just be complacent. But the American dream is that, isn't it? Let's, let's get to a nice house, nice car, the boat, the nice yard, and let's just kick back and take it easy. We drill that into our society. But God's saying, never become content with what you have because there is always more. And more doesn't look like the American dream more. There's more destiny for you. There's more power spiritually and supernaturally for you. There's more influence that you can have with people. There's more of an impact that you can have with people. There's more ministry than you will ever uh, uh, be able to accomplish all in in your own. And he says, verse 8, Lord, what can I now say that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land, when they hear about this, they're going to surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. Can you hear the, like, they're going to wipe our name. Like, people will not even know we existed. He says, and then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord God said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel sinned and has broken my covenant. Wait, who sinned? Israel sinned. I thought it was Achan, but Israel sinned. And can I just stop right here? Because I want you to get this. Like he says, get up. Why are you lying on your face like that? There are times when things happen in our lives, church. And if I could just challenge you for a moment and say, when bad things start happening to you, Don't go immediately to blaming the enemy. Sometimes you need to blame yourself. I need to blame myself. I'm here because of choices I made. I'm here and living out the consequences of my actions. And we're there sometimes we get to that place where God may be letting us go through something. He's trying to to teach us something or take something away that we think we need. And God's like, if you'll just let go of it, I've got something a whole lot better than this one. But if you want to be content with that one, go ahead. Because, you know, Jerry over here is really seeking the Lord. I'd be glad to give him your blessing if you want me to. And he's, and he's going like, why are you on your face like that? I can't tell you how many times I run into people, and sometimes even in my own family, and sometimes even myself, that I will find myself on my face in defeat. It's one thing if you're on your face before God and you're seeking him. But when you're down and you're you're, uh, mealy-mouthing and you're you're just like, God, I don't know why this is happening to me. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that position. And God's going, boy, get up. Why are you on your face? They're not here because I took them away. You don't have that because that's not... That's not the best that I have to offer. Get up off your face. And he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, get up off your face. That is not the posture. That a man of integrity, and Joshua was a man of integrity. Get up off your face. That's not the posture that you need to have. And I want to challenge you. The next time you're in a situation and your emotions begin to overcome you. And you begin to mealy mouth and grub and complain about what's happening in your life. Go, God, is there something going on in my life that, Father, you're trying to show me? Is there a lesson I'm supposed to learn? Are you taking this away, God, because you got something better? Instead of laying on our faces, whining about something that got taken away from us. Because I'm telling you what, God wants to prosper you. And if you're leading a life of integrity, because I do, I lead a life of integrity. I know you. There are You know, so many of us in this room, there might be some people in here that aren't leading a life of integrity. That this is hitting you straight between the eyes. But when you live a life of integrity, blessing is your inheritance. It is. It's undeniable and indisputable. And so, look at this. He says, um, verse 11. God says, Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They've stolen some of the things that I commanded that must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but lied about it. Uh-oh. I can hear the voice of Betty Jean Stewart in the back of my head. My mama, she's like, boy, there's two things I can't stand, a liar and a thief. I don't know if y'all's mama ever said it. I grew up in Mississippi now. She's, I can hear her saying it. Two things I can't stand is a liar and a thief. It's one thing if you're just a liar. But if you're a liar and a thief. And Israel was a liar and a thief. Not only did they steal, but they lied about it. All right. And he says in verse 12, That's why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. My God, it changed quick, didn't it? Israel is the undefeated champion and all of a sudden they are running for their lives. And they've been set apart for defeat. And look at this. He says, For now Israel itself being set apart uh, for destruction, I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy some of those things that were set apart for destruction. Guys, A quick reading, you won't pick up this kind of stuff. God just said, I will depart from you. There are some folks that are wondering why they can't feel the presence of God, why they can't connect with worship, why they can't connect with the Word, why they can't read and get anything. And I'm like... Is there anything going on there? Like, what's what? What's keeping you? Has God withdrawn? Can you not feel His presence because of maybe something's going on that you need to look at? I know there have been times in my life that that has been the case for me, and so, anyway, he says, verse thirteen: Get up, command the people. To purify. In other words, return to integrity. To purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. What's happening tomorrow? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It ain't good, I'm just going to warn you. He's like, get up and purify yourselves. Because tomorrow, this is what he says... The Lord God of Israel says, Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemy until you remove these things among you. Oh, my God. Like some of y'all are fighting enemies. And I'm just here to tell you, until you get some things in alignment in your life, those enemies are not going to be defeated. Oh, Pastor Rife, don't profess that over me. I just want the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord comes not just as an entitlement. God is a God of if-then. If my people do this, then I will. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. Give and it will be given back to you. Those are biblical principles. And if you are fighting something and you can't get that thing overcome and accomplished, man, you need to take a big look at where, where you are with the Lord are you, do you have some things maybe that have not been removed? And it's like, Pastor Rife, I don't know what you're talking about. I live a good godly life. Listen, when we do sozo ministry, when we do any kind of deliverance type ministry, one of the major things that holds people up from receiving is not, yeah, I stole $10 from the cash drawer at my work. Or, yeah, not that. Yeah, I flipped somebody off the other day. And they just made me mad because they pulled out in front of me. Not, I cheated on my wife last week. It's not that. It's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will keep you from being prosperous. If we don't forgive, we damn up the blessing of God in our life. So, you know, we can look at sin as this big thing that it's like, oh, man, that's just ugly. Surely I'm not doing that. But unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And trauma, if you'll just give me a second, trauma will lie to you and tell you that you're entitled to unforgiveness. Can I tell you, as a a person who was highly traumatized as a child and a teenager... I don't have a right to not forgive those who traumatized me. I had to forgive every person. And until I did, I didn't know true freedom and blessing in my life. Don't let trauma lie to you. If you like, if we could see a big T over everybody's head that's been traumatized in this room, I promise you it would be a... a Eye-opening experience. So many people in this room have experienced trauma. Don't let trauma lie to you. And tell you that you have a right to be there. And be bitter and angry and vindictive. And speak curses on people that, you know, blessing and cursing can't come out of the same mouth. So think about that. The Lord's ministering to somebody in those areas of trauma. And so he says, hidden among you, there are these things, you've got to remove them. Verse 14, in the morning you must present yourselves by tribes and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs and that tribe must come forward with its clans and the Lord will point out the guilty clan and the clan that will come forward and the Lord will point out the guilty family and finally each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one and the one who stole what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire um, along with everything he has. For he's broken the covenant of the Lord as, and has done a horrible thing in Israel. I'm just going to tell you, that sounds terrible. Terrible. That sounds terrible. That what the Lord is doing, God has a plan and a way. What he's doing, he's calling them out by tribes... And then from tribes, there's clans within the tribe. And then each family. And then all the way down to the individuals in the family. And the one that is found uh, guilty is going to pay a price for it. Verse 16 says, early the next morning. I know I'm reading a lot. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. And the tribe of Judah was singled out. Come on. Are you kidding me? The praise team? Was singled out. Do you know. In the church world. Very few times. Do you hear. My God. The children's. Pastor just went. Stonewall crazy. And they just. Very seldom. Do you hear. I don't know man. Our security team. Just went berserk. And went all up into sin. And. Are, is anybody tracking with me? Very seldom do you hear, man. The parking team—they were out boozing it up last night and got all jiggy with it and put it all over Facebook. And I guess there's sin in the parking camp. Very seldom in a church, but very often you hear the tribe of Judah. You hear the Praisers. You hear the praise team. You hear the you hear the person who's bringing the word. Why? I mean right here man The enemy wants to take those out. Who in, in in if you go back to chapter 6 Who were the people at the front? The praise team. They're the front warriors at the priests at the front. And if you can get into those two ministries and begin to tear down. This is good stuff, guys. If you can get in those two ministries, you will will destroy a church and you will destroy a movement. That's why I'm willing to stand before the people of Destiny Church and say, Believe whatever lies you want to about me. Believe whatever lies you've been told. Believe every ver- any version of the story that you've been told. But as for me and my house, I am guarding this house well. I'm going to do it. And I will take whatever licks and hits I have to. It ain't fun. There are days I'd be glad to give this job to somebody else and have thought about it from time to time. But this is what God called me to do. And on my watch, we are going to be people of integrity. Because that's what attracts the presence of God. Amen. Um, All right, so let me try to land this plane because I had not got to any of those nice slides on the screen for you. We'll breeze through them quickly. Um, Let's see, where am I at? So, they got singled out. uh, Verse 19, let's start there. Then Joshua son of Achan, uh, said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and, and, and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Jesus. If you know anything about Babylon, why in the world would you want to bring that into your house? You know, he said, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent. Somebody, if y'all are underlining, they are hidden in the ground beneath my tent, circle tent. Uh, Underline that whole part. With the silver buried deeper, underline deeper, circle it, than the rest. And so Joshua sent men to do a search. They ran to the tent, found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath it. Underline that silver was buried deeper. And they took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and said, and all the uh, to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold. Uh, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, the kitchen sink. I mean, they took everything. Everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. It's not like he didn't know that. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies and they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. And that's why this place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was not angry anymore. Now, if you're not careful and you try to conceptualize and interpret that through modern day culture, you'll think God is a mean old mad dude. Unfair and unjust. But can I tell you God never does anything that he does not lay the plan out before you. He told them what was going to happen and the consequences. Let me go through these slides real quick. Hidden sin will do this. Number one, hidden sin will repel the presence of God. Joshua 7.12, God said this, If you don't get rid of that, I will not go with you. Hidden sin repels the presence of God. If, if we're up here and there's hidden sin here, if there's hidden sin in my life, what you're left with is performance. And you can put on a good show, but without the presence of God. The presence of God is something that can make something happen just like that. Whereas performance, you will try and try and try and try and still can't break through. But hidden sin will repel the presence of God. Hidden sin will produce more Sin. It says that not only did he steal, but then he lied to cover it up. You've heard it. If you tell one lie, you got to tell a lie to cover it up. And that's what hidden sin will do. It will constantly be causing you to go deeper and deeper into sin because it produces sin. Number three, hidden sin hurts innocent people. Now, it says that Achan was the one that stole that. But when you look in, in uh, Joshua chapter 7, the very first verse, it did not say, and Achan sinned against Israel, or, or sinned against God. What did it say? Israel sinned against God. Because when, if, you, if you could just get this, man, when you are a part of a body... Erica what you do in your life affects the anointing that I bring. Think about it. What somebody does on this stage, you affect the anointing that I can move in. And when we allow sin to be in our lives, listen, when you it's not just about you and your life. Because he, he used a body, the illustration, the metaphor of a body in describing what the body of Christ was like. So much so that when we refer to the body in church, you know I'm not talking about this, right? You know I'm talking about this, a collective group of believers. But he used the physical body. And I'm telling you what. I have had an infected toe before that hurt other parts of my body. It impaired the way I walked. My back has been hurt before that I could barely get out of bed. I've had a headache that paralyzed me. That I'm like, Mm-mm, body ain't doing nothing today. One part can affect the whole. Spiritually, move that into the spiritual realm. The sin in the life of one believer affects the overall effectiveness and anointing on the body. And the higher you go, and I don't mean to imply or whatever that we have a hierarchy in ministry or whatnot and that I'm more important than you are, but the higher you go in leadership the greater effect that it has. If Brian is living in sin, it will not have the effect on Destiny Church than if I'm living in sin. Are you with me? It will still affect us, but not as much to the degree that if I were living in sin, it would affect us. It would affect the anointing. If multiple people are living lives of secret sin, then it begins to really have a detrimental effect on a body. It affects innocent people. Like all of the other tribes, they didn't physically participate in that sin, yet they were guilty by association. I love in one of the teachings that we do that they use an illustration of a bucket of paint. And if this bucket had the top ripped off and, you know, it's just open and there's a, you know, group of people standing around and I'm holding this and all of a sudden I lose the grip and drop it. Now all of a sudden they have paint all over them. They They weren't holding the paint. They had nothing to do with dropping the paint. But now they're affected because of my action. A lot of times when we're sinning, that sin, it's like that bucket of paint. You drop it, it splatters, it gets all over everybody. And I'm just going to say this, it's not, y'all. some of y'all ain't going to like it, but it, I don't really care. And it's not that I say that with a, I don't care what you think. It's like, I don't care what religion tries to get me not to say. A few years ago, we were going through a situation. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, we do this teaching. And I said, it's like, and I'm, I'm trying to explain to my wife what what we're about to go through and i said it's like somebody's holding a bucket and i didn't say paint i'll clean it up to and not say the word i said but i said it's like they were holding a bucket of cow diarrhea and they drop it and i said this mess is going to splatter on us and we're going to smell like cow poop. We didn't do anything. We didn't cause it. Just trying to love people through it. And buddy, did we smell like doo-doo for a while. And it ain't fun walking around smelling like poop. Anybody ever stepped in dog poop? And you walked into a room and you didn't know you stepped in dog poo. But all of a sudden, everybody else in the room knows somebody stepped in it. You can tell some of y'all grew up in the country and some of y'all didn't. Those of us that grew up in the, you know, sticks. And what do you do? I don't know about y'all, but this is how we did it in Mississippi. We're like, oh, gosh, man. And now you're trying to get out of the house without, you know, stepping on anything. It's, it's not fun. And sin is messy and it hurts people and people who are not involved get hurt. And there's this great quote by Joyce Meyer. You've heard me say it before, but it's a great quote. And it says, this is why, this is the reason we must be of noble character. Because the potential to which we have been given to lead is the same potential we have to hurt others. If we lead a thousand, we can hurt a thousand. So we must be people of integrity, noble character. Paul, when he's talking to Timothy about leaders, he said leaders must be of noble character. If you own a business, you need to be a person of noble character. It doesn't matter how you get cheated or treated. But you be a person of noble character. Because if you're not, don't ever complain about the people who cheat you. Is that making sense to you? Leaders are called to a higher standard. So much so that Paul tells Timothy, Brothers and sisters, before you want to be a leader you need to count the cost because more is required of a leader than an employee. More is is required of a manager than an employee. More is required of, of, of the worship team than the door greeter. More is required of the preacher, the teachers, than of the media team. You know what I'm saying? We all should be living in integrity, but when you begin to take on the responsibility of leading you move into just a whole different level of leadership and leadership requirements. Here's the fourth thing. It never, sin never, hidden sin never allows you to feel safe. It says that when they went in and and after Achan sinned, they were defeated and fear paralyzed them. Fear paralyzed them. Fear never allows you to be safe. And Numbers 32, 23 says this. It says, be sure your sin will find you out. Listen, you can try to cover it, but sin is an active agent. And sin is never a faithful partner. Like, hey man, we're in this together. Never. Sin is like, you're, you're, you're thinking it's your faithful partner. Sin is going, I don't know who you are. First chance I get, I'm exposing you. Because that's what sin does. And it'll cause you to live in this state of fear. And can I tell you this? That I have lived with secret sin in my life before. And you've always got this fear. You've always got this fear. But when you come into a place where there's freedom and safety... I had a few years ago someone to tell me, they told me this about destiny, and I didn't understand what they meant. This was a person I was very close to, and they said, I don't feel safe here. And I'm like, I truly don't know what that means. Like, why would you not feel safe? Because I'm transparent to a fault. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'll tell you what color, color underwear I got on, you know, and that, that, that's to a fault. Like, you don't need to know that. You know what I'm saying? No, but I, I share stories of my life and everything because I'm like, you can share anything with me. I'll protect you, and nothing you can tell me if you're working on yourself will change my view or feelings about you. You should be safe in your church. And so I couldn't understand that. Why would you not feel safe? We have loved people in sin. We have, we have had people stand on our stage and say, hey, they're doing this. They wanted to tell you about it. We didn't drag them up here and say, if you don't tell people, we're going to beat you. Like they wanted to share. And what did we do? We loved them through it. You, many of you have seen that happen. You know it's true. Like, why would you not feel safe in that place? And then I realized, oh, this has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with destiny. And it has everything to do with the individual. Because what you're living is secret. I didn't know at the time because it was secret. But you're living in fear and fear makes you feel unsafe when you actually are in one of the safest places that you would ever be where people would love you and surround you with love. So what can you do about this? These three things, these three things are what you can do about it. We're going to go home. Number one, Confess your sin to God and each other. God already knows about it. Confess your sin to the Lord. Why? When you confess sin, it takes the power of that sin away from the sin and gives you the power back. When you confess sin, you become the one who holds the power. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. You know why people don't confess their sins many times to one another? Because church folks got big mouths. I ain't going to lie to you. Y'all know it's true. Because the church has lost the art of confidentiality. At the men's retreat, we had this little saying, and at the women's retreat, I found out they had the same saying. It's like, what happens at Camp Baldwin stays at Camp Baldwin. What happens at the men's retreat stays at the men's retreat. Why? Because when we create that atmosphere, it it creates an atmosphere of safety. But if I know Glenna is like, she just rattles off. Anything she knows, she's telling it. Posting it on Facebook. Instant messaging everybody. I'm not going to tell you because I don't feel safe around you. But when the body of Christ, when we create an atmosphere of safety that says, man, we love you. We will love you through it. It, it just produces such a place that we can do this scripture. Confessing our sins one to another. And then Repent. That means a lifestyle change and behavior change. Like, a lot of people think repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry for this. That's not repentance. Repentance is action. It's doing the Word. And James 1:21 through 23 tells us that we should be doers of the Word. And anybody who does not do the Word... Is like that one that looks in a mirror, sees what's wrong, yet walks away without changing. And look at the very last part of this. It says, then God will bless you for doing it. In other words, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says, then prosperity comes your way. God blesses you for being a person of integrity. And this is the last thing. Build accountability through authentic relationship. Build accountability through authentic community. Authentic. I've been in I've been in relationships with people and I didn't know until the relationship was severed and I'm like, "Why did that happen?" Why am I I'm shocked. That this happened. Anybody ever had a relationship that you were shocked at how it ended? And I begin to look and go, you know what? I did not realize it. We never had authentic community. Wait a minute now. You were close, you were in their house. They were in your house. We were all together in groups. Our family did stuff with their family. And at the end of it, I'm like, there was always this shield, this veneer. Like, and now that I think of it, I don't know very much about the intimate life of that person in their world, in his world in her world, in their world and there's not authentic community. When you're in authentic community with somebody like walls of fear come down. I mean I'm telling you in this room there are people in this room that I am in authentic community with and you're in authentic community with one another and you know you can share anything because it's real. And I've exposed a side of me, and you've exposed a side of you. But can I just tell you, beware of the people that you find yourself sharing all the time about yourself, but they never share anything. Beware of that person or those people. I promise you, if you'll do these things... You'll, you'll receive a freedom in your life That'll bring prosperity into your life I want to pray with you And as I pray with you If there's something that You're like Pastor Reif um, I do have something in my life That I want to lay it down Then lay it down before God today But there is a part And I'm telling you I'm not living something uh, Preaching something that I don't live I have gone to people, many times men in this room, and I've said, guys, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm dealing with. Guys who will love me, not judge me, they won't let me stay there though. I promise you, you can find people like that in your life and we'll be that if you want to be a part of our community.